The Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations. By Xylem, Let's Solve Water. By Black & Veatch, Building a World of Difference. By the American Water Works Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. By CanDo, providing actionable insights from utility wastewater data to improve environmental and public health. By Woodard & Curran, high-quality consulting engineering, science, and operations services and by Intera, Geoscience and Engineering Solutions. This is Session 189. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thank you so much for joining me. Oh man, doesn't it feel good? Spring is finally here. We still need to be cautious, but it just feels so good to get outside and enjoy the warm air. That warm air just finally arrived here in southern Indiana uh, just recently. Uh, and with spring being a season of renewal, I thought it was about time to bring Christine Boyle back onto the show. Uh, you may recall Christine uh, came on as president of Valor Water back in 2016, uh, and she founded Valor Water in 2015. So uh, she then sold the company to Xylem in 2018. And she's still with the company in the role of vice president of technology incubation. And she does an amazing job in this interview and covers a lot of ground. You're going to love it. Uh, we also have Reese Tisdale in our monthly Bluefield on Tap segment, uh, and he'll talk about the uh, role water plays in the Biden infrastructure bill. But first, and as always, a hearty thank you to our sponsors, Xylem, Black & Veatch, the American Water Works Association, Can Do, Woodard and & Curran, and Intera. And I'd like for you to do me a favor, if you work for or with any of the sponsors, please, please, please thank your boss or thank your contact at the sponsor firm and tell them that you appreciate their leadership in the industry through the sponsorship. You'd be surprised how far that simple note of thanks will go. And as long as you're letting the sponsors know how you appreciate their support of water industry education and thought leadership, why not leave a rating review on Apple podcast, Stitcher, tune in Castbox, or whatever other podcast directory you're accessing the podcast on. It'd be greatly appreciated. And of course it helps others find out about the podcast. Now it's time for this month's Bluefield on Tap segment. Here we go with Reese Tisdale of Bluefield Research, who's going to give us his perspective on water and its role in President Biden's infrastructure bill. So take it away. Reese, welcome back for another Bluefield on Tap. We are full swing into baseball season. Opening day was yesterday. The Mariners pulled out a 10-inning victory, 8-7 to over the Giants. So all is good in my world. How about yours? Uh, it's opening day here in Boston, and... Nothing feels better than opening day because it's only downhill from here, so, uh, <laughs> at least in many cases. So I don't know if feel the same way well, about, Bo uh, about the Mariners. Boston's got a couple championships. Seattle has sniffed the postseason, and when Freddie Garcia melted down in the Bronx back in 2001, you know, that just that killed me. But oh, in, in any event, um, there's been a lot of going on in water. Uh, we talked about the billion-dollar deals last time. Now we've got multi-billions of dollars proposed in an infrastructure package. What Can you kind of shed some light on that? So, yeah. So the Biden administration finally put out its infrastructure plan that everybody has been eagerly anticipating. 
and it's kind of fallen into two uh, uh, two buckets. There are people who are elated and optimistic. Um, I fall into that bucket. I'm super excited about it. And the other side of it is really only 111 billion dollars for water. That's it. That's not yeah. enough. Yeah. Well, you got to start somewhere. Enough. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You got to start somewhere. And so, can you can you dig into what? How, how is this? Let's let's say that it passes in uh, tact, so to speak. Uh, without significant amendments. I mean, can you kind of shed some light on um, how this is going to be divvied out? You know, is it, is it going to be earmarked? Because we've heard about the return of earmarks. I mean, what what do you anticipate is going to be going on with this money? Yeah, I mean, they're obviously, so we're talking trillions of dollars in total here. And where what I'm really, what my excitement is, it's not just $111 billion. And I think part of that is, I think even, Probably a couple of Water Values podcast episodes ago, we talked a little bit about lead and sort of the lead and copper rule yep. and who's going to pay for it. Well, hey, the answer might be right <laughs> so, um, this is basically that's what's being put front and center of the of the water infrastructure investment plan to deal with um, these lead pipes, which, as we said, is about according to Bluefield, about thirty two billion dollars to replace lead lines that are serving, I think, 15 to 20 million people, give or take a couple million. But so I think that's one aspect that needs to be dealt with. I think we're, everybody's quite tired of talking about that. And it needs to be dealt with. We're driving a jalopy down the road and sooner or later, we're going to have to fix it or repair it or just buy a new car. Um, this is probably a combination of both. Where people are not like the people who are not so happy about this thing, it's not enough. I think they're overlooking the fact that when you repair roads and you build new bridges, it takes water infrastructure too. There's going to be culverts. There's going to be catch basins. So hardware, pipe suppliers, other you know hard, uh, equipment suppliers and vendors and labor, they're going to have to be involved. So PVC pipes, that's a good thing for the water sector. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, so I'm really excited about that. And I would also say, you know, a big part of this is going to be climate focused and everybody's talking about the energy landscape, what's going to happen to fossil fuels. Well, I think quite honestly, because of market conditions outside of policy, things are already happening, right? I mean, you know, whether it be electric vehicles, whether it be, you know, switching to renewables, that's already happening at a certain rate. But if that accelerates in any, any way, what it does is supply chains are therefore impacted, right? If there are more electric vehicles on the road, there's going to be more uh, mining of things like lithium for the batteries, which is going to require water infrastructure or, you know, water management. The other um, key piece of all of this is that, you know, so I'd say that's part of it. The supply chains are, are really critical so it's a lot of indirect investment that is not saying, hey, this is exclusive to water. And even beyond this, even I think Patrick uh, Regan last episode you had, which I thought was really a good discussion on power, is what's the, is hydrogen going to take hold partly because of this? That may be the case. That's sort of out on the horizon, and it seems to be coming uh, into, into view as an opportunity. And guess what? Electrolysis of water molecules. <laughs> water management yeah there you go how how uh how do you see this um money getting um divvied out in terms of 
investment in digital solutions, AI, machine learning, digital twins, all the, all the kind of the smart water we've we've talked about numerous times. I mean, is is that can do you anticipate that's going to be a priority, or where do you think that's going to stack up? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's a good question. I don't think it's necessarily going to be the highest priority. I think it's going to be potentially an after effect um, of sort of like I said, you know, we're driving a jalopy. We need to sort of fix the carburetor. We need to fix the, the valves and, and the basics and the wheels of, of the system itself. But the thing about digital solutions and AI, that's sort of coming into play because a lot of the vendors are implementing that themselves. So that will be an opportunity as the system is upgraded and modernized. It's also another way of doing some inventory or even forcing an inventory of exactly what the system looks like. So on the back end of that, there's no doubt that digital solutions, as they already are, are going to benefit, and that will definitely pick up. Um, this will be maybe the catalyst for that. And the other part of this is you know, for operating costs for water utilities in particular, 40% of that goes to labor, right? And I think utilities, with the, given the brain drain that is happening, there's going to have to be more focus on workforce management, and that's where digital solutions come in as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, very good. Uh, anything else we need to know about the legislation that has been proposed? Hope you like sausage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think, I think we'll see a lot of sausage being made. Uh, well, very good. Well, Reese, it's always great, uh, speaking with you. Hope you have a terrific holiday uh, weekend and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks so much. Yeah, that's, it is a holiday weekend. Have a good, hopefully it's long for you. So we'll yeah. talk soon. All right. See, bye. As always, great information from Bluefield Research and Reese Tisdale. Now it's on to our feature guest, Christine Boyle. So let's get that water flowing. Well, Christine, welcome back to the Water Values Podcast. Great to have you back on. How you been? Good. Just uh, trying to bring technologies to market during a pandemic. Uh, I've enjoyed a challenge, so great to be here. Yeah, yeah, it's terrific to have you back on. I know we last spoke like in spring of 2016. It's been five years. Uh, it's hard to believe that time has flown that much. There's been a lot of change in your life. Uh, so when when we last spoke, you were with Valor Water. What are you, what are you doing now? What's happened in the interim? So, yeah, it has been five years. Um, I founded Valor Water 2015, and in 2018, we sold Valor Water to Xylem Inc. So, um, 2018 through 2020, um, I was, you know, leading our kind of transition integration, um, our product line at Xylem, which is part of um, kind of a portfolio of analytical technologies. Um, and then more recently, I transitioned to a new role in Xylem, where I am leading the Xylem uh, business incubator. So still really excited and motivated to, you know, kind of um, bring early stage water technologies to market. So different different hat than I was wearing five years ago, but um, a lot of the same kind of core principles. Yeah, I, I really want to dive into that. Uh, but But first... You know, you started Valor in 2015, sold in 2018. That seems like a pretty quick ramp up. And, and so I'm kind of curious, what, what made you think it was time to, to take the off ramp at that, at that time? I hope that doesn't sound too crass by saying off ramp, but. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's 
it's it's fair. I think you know if there's different um, entrepreneurs listening, everyone's always wondering what their what their journey is going to look like. And I would say our journey, you know, we did a lot in a couple of years. We had we certainly had a kickstart. Even though I started the company in 2015, I developed the technology in grad school. So um, you know, some of the core analytical pieces were were there, and then it just came to building the software piece and, and, and the tough part, obviously, of bringing it to market. Um, but, you know, sitting in 2018, thinking about, should I raise a Series A? You know, that's, it's, it's a lot of work. And I saw myself at that point, perhaps having to sell greater than 50% of my company um, to investors, which is, you know, at that point, I, I have a boss, <laughs> which I hadn't <laughs> had before. And then, you know, here comes Xylem and, and talking with integrating our technology into a suite of digital solutions. And um, one of my core principles and goals for Valor was to deploy our technology on as many meters as possible, as fast as possible. And so I had a number of routes to do that, you know, kind of strong arming it by ourselves, but I was just really attracted to um, accelerating on that goal through like the, the global reach of Xylem. And so um, you know, made that decision and, and it's been, um, you know, integrating with a large public company is not without trials. I would never say that, but it's been, it's the right place for us. And it's a decision I've never looked back on. Well, good. Well, I mean, it's always fascinating to hear uh, people's perspectives on, on, you know, kind of why they made decisions that they, they made at certain times, but uh, it, I appreciate you sharing that with us. What, what, um, because you're one of the, I don't want to say the few, but you are certainly one of a a relatively small percentage of uh, startups that has kind of crossed the valley of death, so to speak. What what do you kind of take take from that journey as as being the kind of the best forum uh, for innovation and technology risks? You know, where where do, where are people take those risks in the in the water sector? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the kind of valley of death is, you know, essentially when you run out of money uh, as a startup um, where you're, you know, you're iterating on your technology. Um, is it feasible? Is it, have you reached product market fit? Um, do you, t- have you figured out the, the business model through which you can be successful uh, in our case selling to utilities? So, you know, there's all these things you need to figure out. Um, to make it through there. And so, you know, from the entrepreneurial point of view, the core lesson is, um, you know, don't run out of money. <laughs> don't, don't, you know, you need to have enough money either through investors or revenue. And, you know, it sounds dumb, but like don't spend money faster than you can sustain bringing it in. And so that's pretty basic, but important. Yeah. Um, and then as far as kind of, innovating in technology, I think that working with utility partners, collaborating and being really frank with them on like taking measured risk is important. You don't, you don't want to oversell your product. You don't want to say, you know, Hey, this is, this is like totally ironed out. It's going to work perfectly. Just sign here and we're going to be ready to go. You can be honest with them. And I think utilities value kind of trust and relationships a lot. So that's, that's important. And then the other thing is, I've heard others say this too, is that what you have, what you're offering to a utility, even though it might be early stage, 
needs to bring more benefits to them than headache. You know, so like the pain needs to be deep enough for that problem that you're solving, that they're willing to go through the collaborative process with you and solve it. And so as long as the benefits typically kind of outweigh um, like the, the, you know, the pain that you're causing them through being an early stage, utilities are wonderful collaborators. Um, and sometimes you can even get them to pay while they're doing it. Again, back to overcoming <laughs> <laughs> the valley of death. So. Yeah. Well, that, 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 that's a big, big leap, you know, to get the utility to trust you and, and take that risk. Uh, any, any insights on kind of how you build that trust? I, I mean, is it, is it just sitting down and, and spending the time with them? And because, because the more you do that, the higher your burn rate is, which is kind of the don't spend money. You don't have to. Right. Yeah, so um, it's true. I think that, you know, in, in what you do in the early stages of a company is different than what you do in later stages. And so, you know, you should be spending a huge amount of time with clients and customers in the early stages because you don't know, you know, how your technology is working, um, how they're experiencing it, how they're using it, um, whether or not there's sort of technical feasibility issues that need to be addressed. And so it's okay if you do kind of unscalable things at the beginning. You know, you can, you, you should be on site as much as possible. Um, like you should know what kind of bubble gum they chew, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> so that you can have that relationship. They can, you know, text you, you know, if, if something's wrong and, and really have that trust. And you also are not necessarily scaling your technology at that point. You're just trying to figure out, are you solving the problem in a way that, that is meaningful and useful for utilities. And so, you know, that's, you're just trying to answer like one question and it takes a little while. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're kind of, it sounds like you're getting into the deployment, you know, how, how are you able to deploy your, your uh, technology with your, with your client? And, and, you know, can you identify a couple of things that you kind of think are just uh, the, the core to the, to, to that deployment success? we're kind of moving from do you have the right product to are you deploying it correctly? And they both matter a lot. So like the product is again, like are you solving the problem in a way that's better, faster, cheaper? Um, Dispelling risk is probably the the fourth thing uh, for the client that that they didn't have before, whatever their existing um, solution was. So, you know, that all needs to be true. And then as far as deploying, it's you kind of need to take the journey with, your customer, how, you know, how are they, what are the headaches of deployment, whether it's data integration or um, like if it's a membrane, like cleaning the membrane, maybe that's really time consuming, but whatever your technology is, you kind of have to be in the journey with your, your users um, in order to make sure you're again, like (laughs) having more uh, benefit than headache to, you know, for them. Um, I think that, you also, you know, the training, continuous improvement, thinking uh, utilities are very process oriented. So, you know, they've got their standard operating procedures. Like, are you asking them to do something outside of that? That might feel a little risky. So, you know, kind of understanding that that day to day can lead to um, a successful deployment. And then also don't be realistic in your um, 
your scheduling, you know, like if you say it's going to be two months, make sure it's two months and don't, you know, kind of stick, build trust through sticking to that project management, um, those milestones too. Yeah. Over promising really hurts. Um, yeah. when you can't, when you can't deliver. It's uh, true, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and that, that, that's more than just software. That's everything, right? That's, that's just, that's just life. Um, so, so I, I'm, I'm kind of curious, you have experienced a lot of success with uh, kind of a digital water solution. What What is your current take on, on digital water? I mean, cause it is, it is very much uh, at the forefront of, of, you know, kind of water tech. I mean, even five, five years ago, I don't know that people were talking, uh, digital water may have been out there, but now it is just, it seems like it's front and center. So kind of what, what's your take on the state of digital water? Yeah, it's funny. So digital water, I think that it's still evolving. Um, so, you know, on one hand, what we see that, that we had five years ago is smart meter data, you know, like AMI data. Um, AMI has been around for decades, and I see that as really fundamental to digital water. You know, it's that hourly read of customer consumption that utilities can do, you know, tons of different things with. And we've seen a lot about that during the pandemic, which I think we'll, we'll get to later. But so digital water is not new. <laughs> but I think what's interesting is, you know, you think of what you do with the data, whether it's new sensor technology, AMI data, remote sensing. Um, there's lots of different ways to capture the data. And so that's building. But the more interesting piece is the applications. It's like, you know, you know so now what? And that's the question that I think we're answering now that we weren't answering maybe five years ago. It's like digital water to just seem like a giant data repository that maybe was sitting somewhere, probably on an on-prem server somewhere. But now it's like, okay, what, what can we do with the data and the advances of cloud and data scientists and hydroinformatics um, have allowed us to actually solve problems um, you know, this whole advent of the, the digital twin is very exciting. And that's, you know, that's a lot of data that's existed for a while, but like really, really smart uh, physicists and mathematicians and hydroinformaticists have taken that data and represented like the physics of water digitally um, in a way that was never done before. So I just think that that application layer is getting way more exciting cost-effective, useful, you know, all those fun things. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, is it, is, is our digital solutions kind of in reach for, for the average utility, or do you really have to be just a gargantuan system in order to take advantage of them? You know, cause the- um, that is a good question. Dave. I think that, you know, we sell at Xylem, we sell to both. I think that, um, you know, large, large utilities, um, have a lot of staff and a lot more money. So they'll have like a whole, you know, room full of analysts and data scientists and people who can um, create those applications um, that is cost effective for them. But what we're seeing now with the cloud and handheld devices and, you know, cell phones and things like that is that small utilities too, um, the use of digital technology is becoming more uh, cost effective for small utilities, such as, you know, applications around um, taking pictures of their assets on their phone and then having these like, different applications that capture asset management, asset performance on their phones. Like 
some of those applications are actually pretty cheap and are allowing um, smaller utilities to have much more sophisticated asset management um, programs. Um, I think that digital water, just in the sense of like kind of cloud technology and, and being able to record videos and, and um, sensor readings and, you know, treatment and lab results all on the cloud has just made data and all these things much more accessible for, for small utilities too. Yeah. And, and so you go talk to a smaller average, average size utility. I mean, I think the, the big utilities, uh, because they have more resources, they're, they're willing to experiment more and try new things. What about the small utility or the average utility that, that is struggling with making the digital leap versus building more infrastructure? How, how, how do you respond to that? Yeah, I think that, um, like small utilities struggle because they're usually behind on, you know, their various plans, their capital improvement plan, their technology plan. Um, and they're, they're reacting to, uh, either, you know, kind of maintenance issues or degrading infrastructure or just compliance issues around, you know, water quality, um, type of, you know, state regulations, things like that. So if you're asking a small utility to um, make a leap in digitally, it's usually because something is falling apart <laughs> that they need to address like really critically and that they'll kind of leapfrog with the technology. Um, I'm trying to think of an example, like an example could be um, like a, you know, like a small AMI system is that, you know, their, their operator retired they haven't been around to collect reads on 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 uh, systems for a while. You know, the, the revenue system, the revenue is 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 at risk. So they might adopt a um, make an investment in AMI technology at that time with the most advanced applications that come with that, and kind of leapfrog 15 years overnight <laughs> because of because they were really facing some like critical emergency around that and and kind of leapfrog. So. That's we are seeing that, but it's it's usually made through, um, in response to some sort of like you know critical event. Yeah, yeah. Well, th- th- I mean that's just fascinating stuff. I think uh, as as because every utility is in a different position and and they all have different different things going on. It uh, you know sometimes I I I just kind of wonder if it is uh, the you know whether it is how just open they are to new ideas and whether they're willing to kind of step out and try something new. Um, because yeah, there's, there's, um, there's some neat resources for smaller systems now too. Like the USDA has grants, the United States geological society has grants. Um, so we see too, that if you can, and sometimes the rural water associations are helping support these, these different grants for, for technology. So, that's a neat thing too, is if you can connect like, you know, non-ratepayer resources and help fund some of these initiatives is something that, that we're seeing for small systems too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you, you kind of mentioned that at the top that you were uh, busy bringing, you know, technology innovations to market during a pandemic. What, <laughs> what, uh, what, what are we seeing? What have you seen during the pandemic that's coming, coming to market and looks promising? this pandemic has been so crazy and then we can kind of layer on top of that like the different 
crises like the you know the, the Texas crisis of the last um, month. Oh my gosh! Too. Yeah, like, like insult on top of injury as far as resilience goes. But you know, for the for the pandemic, we saw uh, you know like skeleton work crews. That was the thing. You you know, either in the field, you could only have one person in a truck and a limited amount of people that could uh, go out and monitor assets or do maintenance. So we saw there that there was a total restructuring of, of work around how you could, you know, keep tabs of assets. Um, and so with that, we saw um, that utilities were thinking of, you know, remotely monitoring assets, putting different kinds of radios and um, video video. Um, type of devices or, or remote sensing on assets. So I think that was exciting. Um, we also saw a lot of fear from the public over our water supply, which, you know, our utility personnel are came out of that like looking like complete heroes because, you know, our water supply was never compromised. And that was, um, whether it was the skeleton work crews or the virus itself, you know, I think all utility workers prove themselves as, as heroes, as a central service, critical central service workers. So, um, but we, you know, so we had to increase um, real, uh, trust in water systems. So we saw like addition, like more water quality sampling um, methods beyond sampling. Like how are you going to continuously monitor and report on water quality uh, or, you know, different toxins. So those are, there's some neat technologies coming out around water quality um, monitoring that, that we hadn't seen before. And then again, like just asset monitoring and moving towards automation too, so that, you know, you've got a guy like, you know, I don't know if you are in your office right now, I'm in my home office. Like what can you do from your office to turn on, on or off a pump or to, um, you know, uh, rotate or like, you know, monitor your valves or um, do different kind of your, you know, your treatment plant um, controls, you know, what can you do from home so that you guys aren't all in the office together, you know, at risk. So those are some of the things I think that were, um, really neat coming out of, out of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's some pretty good lessons to be found. You mentioned, uh, you know, automation and, and, and I I am kind of curious how all that plays into, and we all know about the Oldsmore, Florida incident. How, any any concerns with cybersecurity? And I, I've asked this to other guests, and I'm always fascinated by by you know the the answers because everyone answers it in a little different way. So I'm just kind of just kind of curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I mean, cybersecurity needs to be kind of you know fundamental, um, and we've seen with with like the WIFIA funding that there's some you know standards around cybersecurity that that utilities need to be compliant with to uh, to qualify for that funding, I think that, you know, we're not at a place where anything should be done without human eyes at some point having some checks and balances on our controls. So, you know, what what we're thinking about now as far as even if we have the ability to automatically control uh, some pieces of critical infrastructure, that instead of an automation, what we do is have an alert or a, you know, timed program 
for a operator or, you know, engineer, whoever it may be, to tell them at that point to, you know, take that action. So there's some element of human oversight and control so that both if it's, you know, cybersecurity is kind of, you know, a really scary threat, but even if there's some kind of um, other situation that, you know, the machine is not aware of, that the human needs to be the one that, that, that presses that button. So, you know, there's some checks and balances in place when it, when it comes to, you know, sort of a malicious threat and related to critical infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 thanks for answering that. I, I know that wasn't kind of on our list of what we were going to hit today, but I always, I always find it uh, interesting to, to chat about that. Um, w- another thing I just got to ask you. So you, you, you were, have been in, in a startup, you, you started up Valor Water and now you're vice president business incubation at Xylem. We've, we've talked about all this technology that's coming to market. You know, where are you seeing the innovations come from? Are, are they, are they startups or are they, you know, more big company innovations? Yeah, I think, um, well, I think that, you know, first of all, this sort of the overall water innovation um, ecosystem has never been as exciting as it is right now. I mean, both within big co's and in startups, we're seeing a lot. Um, so, you know, on the big company side, um, you know, at Xylem in April 2021, we're going to launch Xylem View, which is sort of our consultative um, digital offering, which is, you know, exciting. And what that is doing is bringing together seven startup technology companies that exist, that were all acquired over the last few years and kind of packaging those as a service to offer to utility clients, you know, for whatever type of bundle might be appropriate. Are you trying to solve stormwater? Are you trying to solve uh, non-revenue water? Are you working on um, kind of, you know, smarter asset management? We can bring to you whatever it is. And the neat thing there is that a startup can never do is just the scale at which we can um, deploy. So, you know, innovation around scaling to me is um, really important and exciting to kind of move the dial for, you know, our like larger sort of water resilience, climate resilience um, activities. So us doing that within a big utility or sorry, not a utility, within a big company is innovation in itself. Like, can we deploy this in China and India? Well, as a startup, that was, that's tough, you know, and, and can we deploy this to a million you know, small utilities around the world instead of the, you know, a hundred or a thousand that you can reach as a startup. So different scale, but I would also argue that sort of the startup ecosystem, you know, our good friends at Imagine H2O, IL Utilities, all the work that's going on with, with those startups is really where some of the most cutting edge technology is happening. Um, let's think about like COVID detection um, in wastewater, uh, PFAS removal, um, a lot of remote sensing, um, new membrane technologies, like those remain mostly being done by startups. And so there's, you know, there's this great symbiotic relationship between the the startups and the big co's because we, you know, we, we all kind of need to collaborate to, to achieve the goals of like, you know, moving the dial at scale on, on uh, water conservation and water quality. So I guess I'm saying both, Dave. That's how I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> There's elements of both, but you know, in a big company, the the technology has to kind of have been vetted and really considered fairly mainstream in order to scale. And so you need that constant funnel of innovation because it takes 10 years or more, you know, arguably to become that sort of reliable mainstream technology. So, you know, there's that, there's that constant flow back and forth. Or, or or it might just take three years. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Might might be an outlier. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, so looking ahead, what are you kind of seeing from coming down the pipe water technology wise uh, for 2021 and beyond? Do you have any, did your crystal ball show anything? Crystal ball, let's see. Um, thinking a lot about climate resilience, you know, what we've seen with, you know, hurricanes, flooding, algal blooms, network redundancy. So any technologies that are helping work on kind of creating these redundant systems within utilities um, that can help either like kind of network pumping, um, you know, all those things that if they fail can become like very critical. So kind of network redundancy there. And I think digital twin is a really interesting example of that. Um, and then, you know, flood mitigation is, is important. And we're seeing some neat technologies around that. Um, you know, everything from we see within Xylem, we've got um, our BlueX collections uh, technology. We've also, you know, you see storm sensor and, and other startups that are, uh, doing, you know, creating wonderful kinds of solutions around flooding. Um, I really like the whole world of reuse always. Like, what can we do to have kind of these closed-loop systems that are um, easier to maintain than what's been there in the past, you know, whether it's like new membranes or self-cleaning or things that don't require like a certified plumber, you know, to, uh, <laughs> to, to run. Um, maybe that'll always be the case, but like a lot of the kind of reuse world I think is, is cool. And then, you know, I just love uh, predictive asset performance. Like when is a pump going to fail? When is a meter going to fail? When is a pipe going to fail? And, and using kind of big data, even within utilities to um, predict that so that you can really drive. And that really feeds into um, cost savings. That's the other big piece is like utilities are, at risk in the pandemic from droughts and other things of revenue instability. So anything we can do to like really radically drive down costs, um, I think are, you know, is another major driver. Yeah. Yeah. So those are great insights. I really, I really like how you're, you're identifying some things that are going to be big coming up here in 2021 and beyond, but uh, Christine, we're coming up quickly to the end of our time. So I really want to thank you again for coming on five years is far too long for us to have, have not spoken, not, not had you on the podcast, but, uh, what, what would your leave behind message be? If you, if you wanted the listener to, to have one takeaway from this, this interview, what would you want it to be? Uh, well, I think, you know, we came here to talk about technology, but I, I don't think my leave behind is that it's, it's always about the people, you know, it's about training the people to use our technology, the, the, the heroes of our utilities that have, you know, been at, you know, in the forefront of, of providing service during the pandemic, even all the entrepreneurs and inventors, they're all driven by being brilliant as well as being extremely mission driven. And we do that. And those people do that because we want to continue to create a world where people have clean, 
um, and affordable drinking water. So I just say it's, we talk, we came here to talk about technology, but we're going to leave just talking about people. So that's my take home. <laughs> Great. I, I love it. Um, well, Christine, you've been again, absolutely fantastic. Just like I thought you would be just like you were in 2016. So uh, thank you for coming on for those who want to find out more about you, your new role at Xylem, just about Xylem in general. Uh, where can they go to get that information? Google Xylem, but you can learn a lot more about me and all the different technologies that we're, uh, that we're developing. Awesome. I can't wait to see it. So thank you again. And, uh, and also I, I want to say thank you to uh, you and Xylem for your sponsorship of the water values podcast. I really appreciate it. It helps keep the, uh, you know, the, the recordings going. Uh, so thank you so much to you and Xylem and all the other sponsors, but I really appreciate it. And uh, it's been great speaking with you again, Christine. Thanks so much. Thank you, Dave. All right. Bye, Christine. Bye. Wasn't Christine awesome? I mean, just awesome. Uh, great insights. Uh, I, I really liked, because she, she gave some really practical advice on how startups ought to uh, interact with their clients and things like that. And just, uh, just real practical advice. She was terrific. I, I, what a great interview she gave. Um, and it was, you know, five years was of course far too long to go without having Christine on the podcast. So I'll try not to let that happen again. Um, you can check out the show notes page for info on and links on this episode, including the link to Xylem's view, uh, the new product that's launching, uh, in order to get to the water values site, you know, just Google the water values podcast, click the first link that comes up. That's our landing page on Bluefield Research's site. Of course, I've, I've said this before, uh, but the water values and Bluefield research are not one in the same company. Uh, we just have a kind of a joint marketing type of arrangement. Uh, and w- as part of that, Bluefield research is kind enough to host uh, or provide a home on the web for the water values podcast. So thanks to Bluefield. Uh, well, let me know what you liked about the podcast. You can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag water values and tweet at me using my handle at DTM one nine nine three. You can email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com and you can sign up for the newsletter at bluefieldresearch.com slash podcast dash two, or just go again, just Google the water values podcast. Click the first link that comes up and you should uh, be able to uh, sign up for the newsletter on that, on that page that comes up. Thank you again for tuning in and a huge thank you to our sponsors. Again, the sponsors of the Water Values Podcast include Xylem, Black & Veatch, the American Water Works Association, CanDo, Woodard & Curran, and Intera. The show would not be possible without those great companies and industry leaders. Well, in closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the water values podcast thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me well thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer i'm a lawyer licensed in indiana and colorado and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney client relationship with you or with anyone else 
Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.